This episode of Ear Buddies is brought to you by the National Feral Swine Management Program, which has been rapidly deployed to find and eliminate super pigs migrating into the U.S. from Canada since 2014. It's the National Feral Swine Management Program. One and only Billy Shears. And I'm George. <laughs> and this is The Beatles. Maddie and Timmy sit at their mics and they talk about music and songs. They're never wrong, the Ear Buddies army, listening with joy to the wisdom and takes that they share. They really care, what a lovely podcast, it's made for everyone. What a lovely podcast, now Mondays are so fun. Hey pal. Tim... Hey, how are you? You know, every 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 time, every Monday, I don't need Christmas. I don't need my own birthday. You give me such a a gift uh, every time. And sometimes you go A and B, the C of D, above and beyond the call of duty. And uh, you do a little delight like that, a little Turkish mm-hmm. delight. Um, <laughs> fabulous. Hey, that's... I'm the one and only Billy Shears, man. What else <laughs> well, am I going to do? Clearly. Man, only Billy <laughs> Shears could have pulled that off. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> glad to be here. Thank you for that. Uh, such a pleasure to be potting with you, pal. Uh, you know, two buddies, right? And we can accomplish a lot together. But what if there were four buddies, Matt? Four good buddies. All with a singular goal of making great tunes. Now, don't you think four buddies doing that would would really leave a lasting impact on uh, you know music and heck the globe as we know it? I do think so. Would that we had some examples to to draw from? <laughs> sure, and I, I'm specifically thinking of a group that you may have heard of, unless you are living in the plot of the film Yesterday. <laughs> The Beatles. What would you think if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song And I'll try not to sing out a key Oh, I get by with a little help from my friends Is this... We're talking about the Beatles today, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have never felt like more of an idiot. Well, how, where does one begin? Buddy, I know. I know. Where, where do two guys like us, uh, you know, where do we get off trying to talk about the Beatles, Matt? The Fab Four. I know. In 2023, I in this economy, know. we're going to do a podcast episode <laughs> about the Beatles? It's a fool's errand. It's a fool's errand. Um, but, Tim, you and I are duty-bound 
I think we've discussed many times. Um, we yeah, we talk so much about our doctrine, you know, <laughs> yes, the philosophy, the bylaws, the whole thing. Um, when something happens in the world of music, we gotta get after it, or or have a really Scramble good jets. reason not to. And our You're right, yes, uh, I guess self doubt. Um, <laughs> yeah, in on this topic, is not a good enough reason to not get after this. We're, t- we're talking about the Beatles. We haven't yet, which is kind of crazy for a music podcast, but also, I would say, uh, responsible of us, right? Because... Respectable. Yes, because how many podcasts about music are talking about, eventually, or immediately, the Beatles, the Fab Four, the lovable lads from Liverpool. You've got to talk about How much about ink them. has been spilled about these How guys? much ink right, has been spilled? Right. It feels disgusting to to take up even more like online server space yes. to dedicate to this. But as you said, when duty calls, when that big uh, blurry headphone light shines above Gotham, we respond. You know, we do, and we are we going go to, to the bu- we go to the Bud Cave, <laughs> and that's what it's called. And we it's what it's called. We had it built. Uh, it's and what we have to do today, man, is talk about not only you know the Beatles writ large, but their new single Whoa. now and then. That's right, Matt. The latest and and advertised as last Beatles song, released November second, twenty twenty-three, uh, and you know it's taken the world by storm. It's a big, it's a big deal. The Beatles put out a new a new tune. That's you know, what can we do but talk about it, pal? Yeah, and we're going to. Um, but look, Tim, not to do too much table setting, but. Where where to begin here? I ask you sincerely, where to begin? Well, I don't want to talk about Beatlemania. I don't want to talk about the relationships, you know, the, the sort of interpersonal relationships of uh, John and Paul and, and Ringo and whatever the other one's name is. George, yeah. Yeah, uh, poor George. <laughs> I, you know, th- again, you, the listener, can... Learn about the... You already know, probably. And if you don't, don't rely on the buddies to tell you about that stuff. Mm, right? Yeah, thank you. Um, Matt, we gotta do what we do best, right? We gotta talk about the tunes. We gotta talk about the tunes. I'm with you. I was hoping you would say that because... Uh, <laughs> you. I don't know if we have the... The deep history and and connection and attachment here to the Beatles that so many do, um, where we Mm -hmm. could sort of off the cuff chat about the relationships, you know, because the relationships are such a big part of it, of of the lore and the legacy, as uh, as the mania, as is all of this stuff. But really, at its core, I believe, uh, it's all about the tunes. Um, But, Tim, to, to start... Let me ask you, so we, we, the Army knows, 
we we, we want to be honest, of course, with the army and with ourselves. Right. Where right. where are you, Beatles wise? Uh, we you and I have been friends for a, a very long time, and the Beatles mm-hmm. <laughs> have rarely come up. <laughs> so um, I I know you knew I know you knew about them. You know about them. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I had heard of them. Yes, are you are you a fan? I had even heard some of their songs. <laughs> sure. Where, where where's your start? Where where are you with them? I guess. Thank you for asking. I feel about the Beatles the way, honestly, I feel about like Johann Sebastian Bach. Does that make sense? It does. They are so totemic in the history of pop music, right? They're so that they, they are all four cornerstones. You know what I mean? Mm, like, yep. so foundational they are to the decades of pop music that came after them that they almost become, like, completely enigmatic to me. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard for me to just, like, sit and listen as, like, a fan, quote-unquote, right? Because they're so important. It's like... It feels like reading the Bible or something. It's hard. You have to... There's like a lot of meta-processing that goes with it to me. And knowing that we were coming up on this ep, Matt, I did what I would call my due diligence in trying to shake that and listen to the Beatles with like as clean of ears as I could Mm. and just like take in the tunes as for what they are. To get to answer your question, I respect the hell out of the Beatles and have a hard time speaking like as a critic about them, like applying my own taste to their music. That's just kind of a hard thing to do. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's uh, that's responsible of you. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, you know, uh, because if I get here's the thing, man. Yeah, I am um, I'm a little baby real musician, right? You are. You are the real deal. And I have to assume that your relationship with the Beatles is maybe more um, fully realized, maybe like more scholarly uh, or less. I don't know. Matt, like tell me how you approach this all important band. Um, Well, thank you for asking. Um, (laughs) Mine is a little funny to me. Because, um, as we've discussed um, on prior eps, I grew up playing, you know, in a family band, playing bluegrass music, and then there was a point and at how. which, <laughs> and then there was a point at which I said, oh, "I'm sick of this stuff. I want to play that good old-fashioned rock and roll music." And knowing very little, I was I was a boy. I was thirteen, probably. Yeah. And I said to myself, "I want to get into this." And where do you start? Even at that age, at that even in, in that year, but with the Beatles, right? I I yeah. said I'm gonna. I not only did I say I want to play that good old time rock and roll. I said I want to be a <laughs> scholar and a critic immediately. Let's get to it. What do we got? <laughs> And so I got into the Beatles, and I got into the Beatles to the point where my aunts and uncles were sending me um, books, hardcover books, thick mm. hardcover books about the Beatles. 
um, a lot of CDs, um, just paraphernalia, merchandise, whatever. Um, you had thoughtful aunts and uncles. Yes, well, to this day, I'm very grateful. And I <laughs> really, really listened for quite a while. But then, mm-hmm. uh, and this is also funny and, you know, maybe embarrassing, but as, as youth, how can we be embarrassed, right? We are simply growing. <laughs> I realized through my research that back in the day, it was it was the Beatles or the Beach Boys. Ah. And, I found, and I found out about the Beach Boys, and I said, all right, I'm... I'm riding this train instead. So from okay, yeah, you picked a side. Sure. Yes, I was I was Beach Boys through and through. <laughs> I said I'm going to learn everything about them, and so I let the Beatles fall by the wayside. Um, so where I am today uh, is I have listened to I'll say it most of their tunes, and sure, and I hard to listen to all of them, dude. Well, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that. Um, yeah, but I and I really. I enjoyed it, and I enjoy it, and I respect the hell out of them. They are, they are so gifted. They are so talented, um, and so that's that's where I that's you know the the parcel that I carry with me today for this episode. I um I flirted with in my twenties, and I think Matt, you knew you know about this, but I flirted with um, trying to sort of own and carry the take. Uh, that the Beatles were overrated. <laughs> yes, I do remember. I mean, that was dumb. That was that was just me being a contrarian idiot. <laughs> Thank right? you for saying it on mic, though. That's nice to yeah. hear. The Beatles are not overrated. The Beatles are possibly underrated. Penny Lane, there is a barber showing photographs Of every head he's had the pleasure to know Because you know, Matt, my um, my amateur understanding is basically that they made the mold that so many musicians would try to fit into down the road. You could forgive them for doing that, like maybe sort of crudely and poorly at mm. the time, because they're groundbreaking, right? Yep. Uh, and so you could expect there to be some warts and to be clear there like there are we don't revere every song that the Beatles published um, but there are so many like actual all-time tunes that they wrote and released over just a nine-year period uh, that you that you gotta give it up and you have to sort of acknowledge that they were not just great they were um, they were like unbelievable <laughs> and I think I think with hindsight you can you can appreciate you can hold that take even more strongly yeah uh, man well said as always thank you um, yeah I think I think it's tough of course and it's it's impossible to try and like correctly rate the Beatles, they are not even really, they can't be in the conversation if we're going to be real, right? You know? Right. It's not worth, uh, yeah, not worth rating, not worth considering really. Right. But, but I think your point there that, uh, you know, they could have, they really could have done, um, they could have put in, I don't know, an eighth of the effort and done an eighth of what they did and still Mm -hmm. have been groundbreaking. But, Really, like looking back with the benefit of hindsight, 
we can see that, like, this was not really a product of their times thing. Although, I mean, you know, it was in the senses that it was. But yes. it, I mean, all of it, all of it holds up. And I'm even, you know, even the tunes that we don't really care about uh, were done in ways that, like, was, uh, you know, it was it was crazy that this was happening at the time. They They blazed so many trails they were so far ahead of the game that they i mean they they invented they 100 percent whole cloth invented like dozens of of uh writing techniques and studio um uh practices that are industry standard and that you would never do any other way today right like matt that speak on that a bit yeah i would i would love to i'm gonna try to not get like too deep into the weeds because I, I want to touch on just you know a, a handful of of techniques that they um, uh, you know invented or popularized. Mm. The first one is maybe the most um, it's so commonplace as to not be obvious these days, but it is simply the idea of close miking. Okay, so that's one close miking. That hmm. means. Uh, and we talked about this back when we were chatting about Karen Carpenter and, uh, you know, that was Julia years Michaels. Ago. Yes, Julia Michaels, right. Um, before the Beatles, usually in, in a recording session, the mm-hmm. producers and engineers, and they would simply set up a bunch of microphones um, kind of, you know, far-ish away from the source of the sound, from the drums or the strings or the vocals or whatever. And... Uh, they would hit record and uh, off to the races. Whatever they mm. got, that was what they that was what was you know pressed onto wax and and delivered. With the Beatles, they started close miking. Um, specifically with, well, and I'll mention here, I, I never, I can't let a, a producer name drop go. George Martin, often known mm-hmm. as the fifth Beatle, although there were a number of fifth Beatles, he was their <laughs> producer for, uh, I'm going to say all of their, uh, like, real serious, you know, post-first album work. Um, sure. And he was a wizard. He was brilliant, and he... Um, recorded, my example here for close miking is uh, Eleanor Rigby. What a tune. It's, uh, it's an incredible, incredible tune. Um, and these strings, when you hear them, yeah. they are right there. They're immediate. They are just I mean, you are sitting a- a- amongst the quartet that's playing this, right? That's how it feels. Sure, um, sure. It doesn't feel like you're in a big like uh, concert hall. Yes, anything. exactly. And right. and in my opinion, like I don't think I don't think in 2023 you could get these strings any better. Hmm. Father Mackenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near. Uh, a story that the the Beatles and George told after the fact was that 
they put the mics so close to the string players that they had to like essentially force demand that the the um the string players not like move back from their mics they were almost touching the strings they were closer than any any mics had ever been in a studio setting and because yeah uh, you know before usually you would just set up a bunch of mics uh and record your orchestra or record your whoever's Mm -hmm. and it would sound um like you were there kind of like you know in the in the chamber in the orchestra hall listening um sure but but these were this was this truly had not been done before and it it makes this the tune um i mean so much better but also you know if you're listening from sort of a production standpoint and an innovation standpoint i mean it it was it's was the spark that i'm not going to finish this metaphor you know what i mean um (laughs) (laughs) sometimes i just it was dude yeah it was (laughs) the spark that you know and they and they kept doing that uh, <laughs> after they realized how good that sounded. They were like, "Well, mm. let's close mic the the vocals and the acoustic guitars and the drums." And and uh, to continue here, the drums uh, often they were you know you hear stuff kind of before the Beatles, and it was very yep. uh, big and loose and not really detailed sonically. Um, Even early Beatles recordings, like the those yes. first few, like "Can't Buy Me Love" yes. and you know those those first few singles, "Twist and Shout," "Saw Are Standing There," they're big. They sound roomier. It's yeah, it's kind of incredible actually to listen to the progression, not just of the music composition, but the production from yes. the first to the last Beatles albums are crazy. I'll get to- it is it's it's really i mean it's very very cool because like again you said tim this was nine years the beatles were not they were not around for a very long time but yeah. in that time, they changed the game. I mean, entirely. Like with the the mm-hmm. drums, you know, the same thing with close miking. But and this was sort of a Motown thing. But you put your wallet on a snare drum, right? And it, it sure. deadens that that ringing snare and it makes it tighter and crisper and drier. And he uh, Ringo would put towels over his toms and he stuffed a sweater inside of his kick drum. All of this mm-hmm. makes it. Um, it sounds like it would make it more muffled and sort of less um, appealing sonically, but in this way, the mics were able to capture just actual detail, right? In a way that had never been done before. You know I believe in how. You're asking me hear the drums in that sort of clarity uh, and that sort of fidelity at that time crazy yeah uh, and I mean this is you know I I don't have the time nor frankly the um, desire to get into everything but you know that the close miking and automatic double tracking which which made you know it made uh, one track um, 
sort of delay by a bit and make it sound fuller and thicker. Direct input, which is where you simply, you don't plug into an amp, you plug right into the console. Everybody's doing that these days. The the stuff with, you know, the Beatles where there was some sort of, um, I guess our grandmas thought there was a satanic message running through backwards. It's because they yes. started reversing tapes. They would run the tape backwards through, you know, and, and, and mm-hmm. hear some sounds that never existed before. There's so much just musically, sonically, production-wise, that the Beatles figured out how to do. It is not dying. It is not dying. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that everybody heard this and everyone said, okay, let's do that now. That's <laughs> And that's crazy. I mean, that is a... That is a mark on the culture and on pop music that uh, uh, nobody else has. Man, uh, thank you for the thorough response to my question. <laughs> You're so welcome. And to all of you in the Ear Buddies Army, let me just remind you uh, that you are benefiting greatly from having Matt in your ears once a week, every Monday. Uh, what a what a joy to learn these things, pal. Oh, thank you. I mean, <laughs> I bet a guy could. I bet a guy could read through all kinds of Wikipedia entries on the Beatles and not learn that stuff. That's insider knowledge. Well, it is. Like I said, that's what I was doing when I was thirteen to fifteen or sixteen, and I've retained it all. And I hope you do too. But it's fa- it's, it's fascinating, and it, it that's that's for it, it me, is. Tim. For me, that is why. Uh, you know, you you can't properly rate the Beatles, and why you just have to mm-hmm. give it up for them because even if yeah. even if the tunes were terrible and uh, you know the the public image was less uh, charismatic and less arresting, um, right? They still did that. So I mean, wow! It sounds to me like you know the the legacy of the Beatles and the you know. The reasons that so many of us have for viewing them as kind of as, you know, just these sort of demigods of pop music history, um, I almost feel like there are other reasons that a lot of people don't know about that are maybe even more justification um, for their longevity, for their importance to the industry. Like, specifically what you're describing, these like studio practices and the way music sounds today. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, that's really important and I think kind of oft forgotten maybe in in the cultural discussion of the Beatles. That's exactly right. I think, you know, with with everything else about them, if you really just return to the tunes, uh, pfft, that's, that's where it is, you know, and that's, I believe and kind of hope that that is why it worked, you know, why we're still talking about them, because it just, they did stuff that no one had even thought to do before. Yeah, like, um, like take a demo from the 1980s that was grainy and scratchy <laughs> and, and disastrous <laughs> and um, wait 40 years and use uh, machine learning AI tech to polish the vocals and turn it into... A brand new single, Matt? Like that sort of thing? Now that's a segue. Hit me. What do you got? (laughs) We got to talk about now and then. We do. We do. 
and I don't really want to hard pivot here, Matt, because everything we said, we, you know, stand by 100%, not just in this episode, in all walks of Always, life. Always, yes. But I, I do want to take a look at this quote-unquote new single with as critical an eye as we can. Because, because Matt, this is not some Easter egg thing. This yep. is being pitched to us as a new song by the Beatles. And so I think we have to take it on those terms, right? Yes, yes, no, I fully agree. And now and then If we must start again Well, we will know for sure That backstory for the listener if you don't know this is a tune that was written by john lennon solo at post beatles in the 1970s after the band had broken up uh he he recorded a little demo of just john and a piano on a tape recorder at his house and the quality was pretty garbage right and then john died and then his widow yoko ono gave paul mccartney the cassette that this song was on and he and George and Ringo listened to it and decided they wanted to try to work it up and they wanted to retain the demo as best they could so that John's voice could be a part of it but the quality was just garbage and they couldn't they couldn't recover it in an effective enough way and Matt crucially reports say that George Harrison just didn't really like the song (laughs) okay then george died and then ai tech got better and not 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 generative ai to be clear but you know just computers got better yeah yeah to the point that they could effectively polish up this recording and leave you with an intact vocal uh track uh, of, of john's vocals sounding good enough that Uh, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr could go back in the studio, lay down some new parts, harmonize with it, add their, you know, add their touch, and release this as a new Beatles song. Matt, I say all that, and I think it's all really important context, and knowing that, I want to know what you think about this tune. (laughs) Oh, uh, I'll just shoot from the hip. I don't think it's very good. No, I don't either. (laughs) Uh, I think it's, I like, I don't know, I, there's... Maybe a reason it was just a demo, I guess. You know what? I, uh, we're talking about the tunes here. We we're are. talking about the tunes. And we it is very difficult, as we've alluded to or outright stated earlier, to divorce oneself from the mythos of the Beatles mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of just listen critically yes. and, and find out what you think. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tim, like you said, this is, this is being given to the world as, I guess, right? The last Beatles song. Which it's, which just, just out of the gate, pal, I don't quite get that, right? Because I also read that this is the first ever 
Beatles song to chart that does not have Lennon and McCartney as co-writers. Yes, that's right. Credited. It's because John Lennon just wrote it himself. That's weird, right? That's not that's not a Beatles song. <laughs> I I mean, like, I, I I kind of like don't buy it in premise. No, I it's a weird one. It's a weird like I one. Hate to, I hate to be a, a, a stinker about this one. I, I don't want to say it's in poor taste. I just kind of think it's maybe a poor decision. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, I agree. I like agree. Like, you guys, you guys, your legacy is untouchable. You have 75 incredible t- songs. Like, why, I don't know if we need... Why muddy it up? One more. Especially, like, kind of a Frankenstein one like this. I, I just don't don't see the, the need or the, or the value in it, really. No, there, and there's not. But look, here's... This is where... I mean, this is kind of where it gets away from us, and we can let it get away from us. Uh, mm-hmm. Because from all I've heard for my whole life, like, Paul... Paul really wants to get the band back together, kind of. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. things... We, in general, I think we know. I'm not not going to go through it. But, like, the Beatles, it, they didn't end on, like, the best of terms. And right. then, you know, things were kind of weird for a while. And Yoko was there. And, and then John got shot. And there was this whole, you know, a lot of circles unclosed. Um, uh, yeah, 100%. Yes. And Paul from all I can tell, seems like just a sweetheart. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and he loved John, and they all really yeah. did love each other. But yeah. it, it seems kind of like Paul, once again, trying to do right by John or honor him or whatever. Um, and that's admirable, I suppose. That's commendable. But there is something striking, I guess, about hearing a young John... And a pretty old Paul singing mm. together. Yes, yeah. That's, in, those, in, in those moments, like that's, there's, it's definitely there's there's something novel about it. Right. There's certainly poetry in there, uh, contextually, circumstantially. I agree. But yeah, I mean, part of this, Tim, is that it doesn't really matter what we're saying here. Of course, sure, right? Of course. Because what is our reach? <laughs> but more, <laughs> more, just that, like. The Beatles do have a number of sort of just kind of WTF songs. You know what I mean? (laughs) They do, yes. Now somewhere in the black mining hills of Dakota there lived a young boy named Rocky Raccoon. And one day his woman ran off with another guy. Hit young Rocky in the eye. Rocky did some some circus music and some kindergarten lineup songs, <laughs> right? <laughs> and hundred percent. And so can't so ignore them. Yep. I can't. It, it, it wasn't a hundred percent bangers start to finish, but yeah, it because of the I guess marketing surrounding this one, where it's like. Well, this is this is that circle closed, and this is the legacy, and here it is in right. you know a, a package with a bow on it. Finally, um, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I I don't think it's in poor taste, but musically, I don't think it's a decision I would have made, um, yeah. and I don't think it's the decision George would have made. God rest his soul. <laughs> yeah, kind of sounds like maybe not. Um, yes, I co-sign everything you just said, pal. It does seem like Paul is just a deer. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe and, and you <laughs> that's wanna, the problem. Y- y- 
you want to yeah you want to um you want to cheer him on in everything he does but yeah i guess i would have i would have just left this one on the cassette tape i guess to answer you know kind of the, the question of like what do we what does one get out of the Beatles in 2023? You did a really good job there, man, of saying it is not all smash, you know, revolutionary hits. But a whole lot of it is. <laughs> and and it's not hard to pluck out the, the gems because, you know, a, a million playlist curators have already done that for you. So you yes. can, you know, you can... Um, you can have like a genuinely wonderful time just taking in the tunes of the Beatles in 2023. Like I'm, I'm not gonna. We don't need to sit here and just name our faves. But <laughs> you know, yesterday is it's just like it's impossible to imagine writing that. Like I know, to, I know. Oh, yesterday. All my troubles seem so far away Now it looks as though they're here to stay Oh, I believe in yesterday Suddenly Man, that's that one, just briefly, my favorite story about that is and a well-known story is that Paul dreamt that melody and woke up and asked everyone <sighs> if that existed already because he couldn't, he was like, where did that come from? Mm. You know, you hear... In, in our in our circles, Tim, in the circles of the critics and the real musicians, yes. you hear things like, if the Beatles had had come out, um, if they had started, you know, five years ago, and they were doing this mm. kind of music today, it would do just as well. And mm. uh, then you know you hear people saying kind of the opposite, what with marketing and and uh, the algorithm and whatever. Yeah. But I essentially agree. I think. And I, I want to agree, and I, mm-hmm. I like to believe that the strength of the tunes and nothing else, because they weren't great mm-hmm. singers. <laughs> True. <laughs> but the strength of the tunes on their own, um, I really think, had obviously like a, a, a massive role in their success in a way that it doesn't necessarily always have to these days, if I may. Um, yeah. A good song has no shelf life, right? A good tune oh, man. Uh, could have been written a hundred years ago or yesterday, no pun intended. Um, That's right. And I think that their best, at their best, they were just so good. And let's just give it up for that, if nothing else. And let's, Matt, you and I... Take advantage of the fact that you and I somehow are the only people who remember the Beatles. <laughs> I think we should record some of these songs and see how they do. Yes, absolutely. And hopefully we can get Ed Sheeran in the room with us. <laughs> Ear Buddies will continue in a moment.
This episode of Ear Buddies is brought to you by the National Feral Swine Management Program. Matt. Tim. April 14th, 2023, near Tolna, North Dakota. Wild, violent pigs running rampant. The Sheriff's Department in Nelson County said a wild pig tried to attack a farmer several times until the pig was, quote, put down. This is what it, what um, wildlife officials, Matt, are now dubbing a super pig. Oh. A cross between a European wild boar and a domestic pig that is loose and reproducing at a very high rate up in southern Canada. And now these super pigs with their tusks and their big old noses and their girthy bodies are descending upon the United States of America. And what's the front line, pal? It's good old North Dakota. Enter the National Feral Swine Management Program. Our heroes for the day, pal. This is a uh, this is a federal agency, uh, I think, under the U.S. Department of Agriculture. That is that is charged with a with a solemn and sacred duty. They find these pigs, and they waste them. They get them out of here, man. It's a it is a war. We are at war with these feral swine, and they're coming for our farmers and ranchers. What's at first blush, Matt, what are you thinking about all this? <laughs> well, I'm glad to know about it. I'll say that. Um, I was not aware. Yeah, lock your doors. Yeah. Everybody. I mean, that's big news. Um, wow. Uh, Tim, I... Because, Matt, it's not just that they're violent and, and, and you know, running uh, as if rabid. They carry diseases. In fact, I'm reading here that they that some of them carry African swine flu, as well as 30 other bacterial and viral diseases and 40 parasites oh my that are shared goodness. between pigs and humans. Haven't we suffered enough? <laughs> <laughs> they have done... Matt, I'm sorry to keep info dumping no, on you please, here, but I, we I need really... To know. I we must need stress, to know. it's an, you know... And this is an ad from the National Feral Swine Management Program, so they want you to know, listener, that uh, per year... These these super hogs, these big pigs, have are doing two and a half bill of damage to crops each year, and they killed a lady in Texas once. This is this is a five alarm fire, Matt, and no one's talking about it. You don't hear Biden talking about this. Are we breaking the news here to the public? <laughs> I kind of think we are. I, you know, I think there are plenty of crises in uh, the world, but let's not lose sight of the fact that there are super pigs running rampant through the United States and uh, especially, it sounds like, uh, the northern plains of North Dakota and Montana and Minnesota out for blood. These guys want to kill you, ruin your crops, and have a little party on your property. <laughs> That, Tim, that is the last thing that we need right now. <laughs> that, I, hats off to the true. the swine management 
committee um, program program yes. yes i mean the national feral swine management program yes. the nfsmp yes <laughs> of course hats off to them because this these these troubles that we go through as a society we they don't get any press unless they're you know mm-hmm. sexy right or or you know right just sort of uh click worthy and this is not sure. that click worthy no other um, than that guy with the the 30 to 50 feral hog yeah tweet, well you know and, and he everybody, had a point he had a point matt <laughs> he was he was the canary in the coal mine i'm afraid uh we should have listened to the guy instead of uh, publicly ridiculing him. He was right. These hogs are, tr- they were probably, he was probably barricaded in his home fearing for his life. Tim, I just serendipitously, I was listening to a different podcast earlier today mm. um, about the history of, <laughs> this is not a joke, about the history of the hog. In the United States. <laughs> That's how I spend my downtime. And, and we all respect You were listening it. to this before you knew who was sponsoring tonight's Yes, app. I had no idea. Um, but okay. I, yeah, I was listening to just hear about what was going on. And <laughs> man, these, these hogs, they can be so dangerous if we let them be. Because mm-hmm. they love... Well, part of the thing, Tim, is that they eat the same food that us humans do, um, uh, and and far more. I mean, they are they are garbage disposals <laughs> on four trotters, and and we love that about them, or at least we did. But now they are reproducing at these rates that are untenable, and frankly unmanageable. Hmm. And now to hear this, which news, is why we have kill teams now. Well. We, what other option is there, really? <laughs> right. All, all we can do is, like, get helicopters in the sky with snipers. Oh, man. Because, because yeah, it's it's just a matter of, of holding these guys off, it sounds like. And, uh, Matt, okay, so you, you have more expertise on this than I realized. Matt, are we at... Are we near a tipping point at all here? Like, you know, if if something isn't done soon, is it possible that, uh, you know, there will be more of them than there are of us, and they could perhaps start like making demands of us, or like, what's the what's the end game what's here? What's the future if, if look this like? Gets worse? Yeah, um, it doesn't look great, Tim. Uh, I <laughs> am loath to say this, but these pigs. <laughs> Have the intelligence of a three-year-old human child, just a standard toddler. Oh Lord! Which is pretty smart, actually. If you think about it, yeah, yeah. Again, hate to say it, but that's just the reality we're faced with. Um, (laughs) And there are so many of them, and and this super pig issue is a problem because these boars breeding with domesticated mm-hmm. pigs, you get the best of both worlds, like Hannah Montana, right? You are, <laughs> they are breeding at, at, like, church mice, and yet they have the the muscle mass and the tusk length uh, 
to kind of ruin your life if they want. I mean, to and they're probably not f- even fishing out any truffles for us. Are no, they? no, no. They're they are just as a consolation. They're prize. out None for of themselves. Yes, they. Ugh. And and it's it's just hard to hear because we have lived in communion with these pigs for a very long time. We've we've built local dishes, national dishes <laughs> around them. <laughs> we have uh, farmed them. We have yeah, bred them to be oversized yeah. and had them as pets and bred them to be undersized and put them in teacups and had them as pets, right? <laughs> but now yeah. it seems it, what I'm hearing is that they are tired of the games and what they want is uh, what Revenge. they want. Yes, I mean, that's. it seems like they can't really be reasoned with. Um, and they're, well, Tim, two, two no, plus, right. two plus billion worth of damage to crops. Uh, that's for the American public. That's not for pigs. We want to eat that wheat. We want to eat those yeah. carrots. They're rooting them up. They are causing a, a absolute mess of things. Tim, if I may, um, tell you, uh, just an anecdote that I heard earlier. <laughs> Please. Back in the day, and th- this is appropriate coming sort of on the heels of Thanksgiving, which is uh, an American cultural holiday that has not been well explained to anybody. Um, <laughs> the pilgrims, I guess I'll call them that, the, you know, uh, British colonizers. Yes. They came over on the Mayflower and the whatever else, right? Um, <laughs> and, and they brought with them pigs because pigs were easy to care for they basically they just did their own thing you'd leave a couple pigs somewhere and they would breed and they would start their own community they'd eat whatever you didn't need to coddle a pig right that's sort of a Mm -hmm. one of the gifts of of swine um but what i'm what i heard and what i fully believe because i i fact checked it uh, afterwards is that the footprint of the these white colonizers was yes. massively extended by their pigs because what they would do is simply leave their pigs just around the encampment and say, go mm. wild, have fun, find some acorns, find whatever you need. Um, yeah. And the pigs would indeed do that, and they would get into everything. They would uh, dig up the native population's uh, crops, their squash, their beans, their corn. They would get into uh, the <sighs> their the sh- the beaches, the shores. They would dig up clams, which were something which were a food source for the native population. And they would just they destroyed all of their food. And at the time, you know, the pilgrims and the the buckled hat population didn't really know or care about this, but. It is yes. obvious to me, hearing this, that these pigs are trying to do the same thing once again. They, they had a huge hand, truly, in the uh, decimation of the native populations way back when, hmm. and they are hungry for more. So that's what we're dealing with now. Again, karma, right? Uh, well, yeah. 
you know, we don't have any answers here for you, listener. All, all we're again, we're just trying to sort of sound the alarm. We're saying thank you to the National Feral Swine Management Program for organizing these stealth kill teams that uh, operate under Shroud of Darkness to take these pigs out as best they can. Um, and I guess in the spirit of that, I'll leave all of us with a quote. We shall fight in North Dakota. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. And we shall never surrender. It's the National Feral Swine Management Program. Welcome back to Ear Buddies. Pal, it's show and tell time. And how, Tim. Um and and it's one of these where it's like, boy, so much to so much to choose from here in this storied discography. But but I uh am pushing you off the dock and asking you to go first. Sure. Uh this yeah, this was obviously extremely difficult because mm-hmm. so many good tunes. Um, so I did something sort of subversive and unexpected, um, which I know everyone has come to expect from Maddie. So maybe that's it is, my Maddie, right? It may, might not even be that subversive. But I picked one that I don't think is as bad as people say it is. But I'd like to. It Ooh. illustrates sort of a thought that I have, and it is, of course. Obla di, obla da, life goes on. One of those kindergarten lineup songs you were mentioning. That's that's exactly why why I bring it up. You know, it's two forty five p.m. and it's a Wednesday, <laughs> and you're five years old, and yeah. and it's, you're wired for lunch. <laughs> but it's time to clean up, and it it's, is. it's time to put on your your little cap and mittens and your jacket and go to your cubby and kind of have the the teacher's aide help you. Um, with everything, because your fine motor skills aren't great yet. And, right. And we're listening to this tune uh, on the teacher's little Alexa boombox. Yes. Um, <laughs> wow, I am I am in the scene. I, <laughs> I am transported. Thank you. Uh, I, but I bring this up because, well, a lot of people think it's just a terrible song Hmm. and it's interesting because this one was actually written we all know about the Beatles um, you know time in India and their transcendental meditation phase and they all got weird and did uh, hallucinogenics and and how and and how how. yes Um, and this was written there which is funny Hmm. just to think about of course because you expect a little more a little more a little, sitar. Um, a little less wackiness, yeah. sure. Um, 
But I am going to accept all that that criticism that people throw Paul's way for this mm-hmm. tune. And I'm going to say, uh, although it is not like a standout Beatles track, I think it's a great tune. And I think that because it is a going home cleanup song for children, <laughs> I think that says that speaks well of it. Yeah. I care about children. And I care about children's music. And if a, if a child... That's what we say all the time, Matt. <laughs> What's it all about? The, the, the kids. Children. The children yeah. are our future. Um, but if, if kids can latch onto a tune, mm-hmm. I don't think that makes it a bad tune. I think it makes it maybe a really good tune. Because... Um, it's simple, it's singable. Paul was very, wasn't is, but he's one of the greatest uh, melodists, melody writers yes. that I can think of. Um, and he wrote this dumb little ditty, and part of the story is that he probably did steal it from, um, you know, a reggae guy, but that's oh. sort of neither here nor there for right now. Um mm-hmm. And he, you know, I'm sure the band hated it, and Paul said, we've got to do it, boys, lads, because <laughs> uh, that happened a lot. But yeah. I, I just I just think um, it's it's okay to, it's, it's fair to try to write off um, a decent amount of the Beatles' output, because it is either sort of just inaccessible or silly. Silly love songs, um, Sir Paul McCartney. But this one, I just I think that it it needs to be taken for what it is, um, mm-hmm. and the fact that it's just kind of one of the dumbest songs in the world doesn't mean that it's not catchy as heck. Um, yeah, I'm I, I'm not ready to call it that dumb. Honestly, I I think it's a a darn good tune. That post chorus in a couple of years, that's. Hey, this is a really, really catchy song, and it's more complex than its title would let on. It's, yeah, it's a it's a joyful little ditty. You're right. Yeah, and I I, I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. Um, mm-hmm. I guess my point here, because I must have a, a larger point, is of that course. music can just be fun. Um, the end. Yes. Let's just have a good time. Thanks, Paul. On that note. My Show and Tell is a tune that, for me, is decades in waiting to be shared. It's a song that meant a lot to me growing up. And and I wasn't a huge, like, Beatles head as a little kid. But, in this case, I very much was. It's, with a little help from my friends, performed by Elmer Fudd. What would you think if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Oh, I hate it when that happens. Nee, sounds like you could use a little help, Doc. Wind me your ears and I'll sing you a song And I'll try not to sing out of key Oh, I get by with a little help from my friends oh, Matt, this is... Uh... This is from the album Bugs and Friends Sing the Beatles. 
An album that my parents gave me as a gift when I was five <laughs> or six. And, buddy, humor, humor has never been quite as high and powerful as it was with this particular record. I have full body chills. <laughs> so it's, um, it's all your favorite Beatles tunes performed by Bugs, Daffy, Elmer, and the Tasmanian Devil. Uh, and I, I would love to take you through even more. Uh, yesterday in particular is, is maybe the, the poetic highlight of the album in, in which Daffy is repeatedly like hit on the head with hammers and anvils as he's trying to sing this song in the studio. You'll, you noticed probably that there's kind of a studio conceit, like we're hearing them recording it and yes. they're having mic troubles. Just a lot of like slapstick uh, work that, that kind of comes from that scene. But really, does it get any better than dear old Elmer with his endearing speech impediment singing with a little help as widow widow help? <laughs> For my friends. And, you know, it ends, the song ends with Bugs noticing that Elmer is having kind of a bad day. <laughs> and he calls, he invites everybody into the studio for a party. Wow, I get by with a little help from my friends. Mm-hmm. Gonna try with a little help from my friends. Hey, I got 20 pizzas. Who's paying? Our- uh, it was my this this album, Matt, was my inroad to the Beatles. This is how I first heard these legendary tunes. Really, and wow. and the truth is, Matt, in some cases, it's still how I prefer them. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is. I I see now why you wanted to talk about the Beatles, Tim. Mm-hmm. Just all sort of a a setup to this punchline. Um, that is, and that's a whole album. You said it's a whole, yeah. And I, I don't, I don't think it made the the move to Spotify and Apple Music. Mm. Uh, but you can find it track by track on YouTube. It's great. It's 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 really um, it's a it's an artful album. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I cannot wait to truly and sincerely listen to this whole thing. Um, <laughs> As soon as we're done with this podcast, Tim, that is, <laughs> thank you for bringing that into my life. Uh, I may, uh, you know, uh, I may not be the the age demographic that they um, sort of intended that for, but maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's exactly right for me at this point in my life. There you go. It's the Beatles. We did it, Matt. We, uh, we reached the mountaintop. Wow. We can say we did it, and we came out unscathed yeah we came out perfectly once again a hundred percent correct and uh (laughs) and the world is better for it talk to you later buddy talk to you later buddy (laughs) 